So it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Regan again. And Larkham. Kefu. Welcome back to the Running Rugby Podcast, episode 65, and we're still in World Cup mode at the moment, and it's been a hectic couple of weeks. Joined with me is Toby and Leo, as always, and, and Mehi Archie as your host, bringing you through. And boys, we've had a couple of solid weeks of these pool matches. They're almost over now. What has been your favourite moment so far of this World Cup? I know it'll be a lot of people's favourite moment, but seeing Japan overcome Ireland in the pools was just an amazing game. Like, I've watched a lot of the games, including the Tier 1 Nations, in full. And that one just had me on the edge of my seat. Like, I was so excited the whole way through. I didn't truly believe that it was going to happen. But, obviously, it did. And when it did, it was just amazing. Like, that that team really earned that win. Mm. Ireland, maybe. Ireland lost it in, in some ways. But that team really earned that win. And they've come so far to do that at their home World Cup. It's just fantastic. That's That's what it should be all about exactly what you wanted to see i think a lot of people were worried that we were going to have the host nation in japan struggle a little bit against some of these teams and that's not what the home crowds want to see but now they're looking through and as of this recording they're just lining up for scotland in a few hours but they're undefeated so far have had the fans absolutely on the edge of their seats and what do you think about their plays the thing that's upsetting some of these bigger tier one nations like ireland i think in some ways they've just been uh, underestimated obviously they won't be anymore um, they, they play at a really high pace we we know they've had a, a more free-flowing southern hemisphere style coached into them through uh, John Brett Jamie, Jamie Joseph yeah through Jamie Joseph yeah and like that's that's all just come together at the right time um, Matsushima out on the wings being electric their forwards have really ground out hard um, their hooker, Shorye, was really impressive in that in that mm. um, Irish game. Like, set-piece strong, uh, really physical and active around the park. Like, they're just a full package. They're, they're competitive and they deserve to be recognised yeah. as, as, I think, the ninth-ranked team in the world. Like, they deserve that. Oh, they'll be above that before the end of this, you've got to think. Um, the thing I think, as you're right, they've just got the talent and they've got a team now that is featuring a lot of these players and you'd happily take them into most of other teams. You'd want a few of these guys in it. People like, as you're talking about, uh, Horie Inagaki in the front row, but Himeno playing there at the back, I highlighted him before the tournament. He's had a great time. And then Matsushima and Lafeli, um at 13 as well have just provided those extra little um, precise touches and the little bit of attacking flair that is things you want to see and it's stuff that we haven't seen from some of these tier two nations. And it makes it all the more painful to know that the Sunwolves have a limited lifespan in, in Super oh, Rugby. Yeah. yeah. I, I chimed in, I think through the, through the Twitter handle at the time. And that, that was, I suppose the other side of the coin, like we've seen so much growth and so much development and it's led to such a gripping contest and, and spectacle. And to know that, it's it's going to be capped, perhaps, if that Sunwolves group 
don't survive in another competition in another mm. format. It just feels like they actually got what they probably wanted through that process, and they've already um, they've already shut it down for the future. And I just hope Japan can remain strong and keep developing mm. um, in spite of that. Yeah, well, there's been a lot of push for the Tier 2 nations to get more game time up against some of these stronger nations in between World Cups and not just be stuck in their sort of tier by themselves sort of thing. But a few of those teams have really shown how much they've grown over these last sort of four years and really grown to threaten a lot of these Tier 1 nations. Toby, what's been your favourite part so far? Mate, I think the upsets, I mean, Japan, as you say, over Ireland and then Uruguay beating Fiji were two pretty exciting games. But mm. I think the opening weekend still stands out for me. And, um, you know, some of those big games that maybe have already decided uh, a few of the pools. But you had France beating Argentina, you had the Wallabies beating Fiji pretty convincingly in the end. And you had New Zealand overcoming South Africa. So that first Saturday was a big, big day. Um, I'm not sure that any one day has kind of lived up to that from then on and Maybe that's a scheduling issue they need to look at in future World Cups. Um, but yeah, I think generally the, the Minnow Nations or the Tier 2 Nations have been performing a lot better than in previous World Cups, and I'm hoping that continues into the future. Mm. I know what you mean, like uh, especially teams like New Zealand. I've watched that opening game versus South Africa, but I don't think I've watched more than a couple of highlights from any of their other games because... It was just almost put to bed after that first game and there's no point sort of tuning back in for those until we hit uh, the post-pool matches, the quarterfinals, semifinals. Some of the teams, albeit we, we will see them top their pool or come runner-up as expected, but there have been some quite well-contested first 20, 30 minutes in some of these matches. Um, teams like Russia have really, mm. really put, put the heat on teams early in the match. Um, and I think that's probably characteristic of these tier two and maybe below developing nations that they they do have a lot of the skills they perhaps don't have the same level of fitness they don't have the same um sort of sense and and um maturity in their in their ranks when when things get tough and they they find that their strategy isn't working they don't have a plan b to adapt to Mm. Whereas the better nations kind of recognise, okay, that's not working. Let's adapt. We've got all these different weapons we can use. Those other teams just are a bit, you know, lacking another dimension, another gear. Um, but all that's, you know, it's still what you expect. As these teams develop, they'll be adding, adding tricks and, and tactics to their arsenal, and the fitness will get better with more games at that higher intensity. So I think I think the gap is closing yeah. uh, across the board, which is what you want to see, cup to cup. That you know, we're not not seeing teams like Namibia blown out by 140 points anymore. Namibia were very competitive in the first 20, 30 minutes, and it wasn't like that when they were getting blown out by over a century. Yeah, I mean, with just with this last game with the Wallabies, I mean, 10-3 leading Georgia at halftime. If you'd said that in 10 years ago in a World Cup, 20 years ago, you'd you said be that very last surprised. year, so, I reckon. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 definitely changing a lot. Um, and teams like the Wallabies do need to be prepared for these games that, you know, they should be winning by 20 points or more. But, you know, in the first half, we've been starting slowly and we just can't take things for granted anymore against any team. And I feel like if you've been following us on Instagram at Running Rugby Podcast, we've been putting up those polls for game to game and been putting up the lines. And I feel like those actual numbers that the gambling odds sports bet or whatever are putting up are uh, getting smaller and smaller over the course of the 
sort of pool stages. At the start, they were really massive, and I was constantly going, yeah, we're going the lower-ranked team plus 50 points because they're just not those bigger margins anymore. We're just not seeing those. Mm. That's definitely true. And, look, I think Japan's a really good example of, of what teams can do if they prepare over a four-year period and, and really put a lot of investment into that. Like we said, the Sunwolves would have helped a little bit. But a lot of these Japanese players were kept out of that team at periods to make sure they were healthy for the World Cup. Mm. So there's been a real focus on player management um, and peaking at the right time. And, you know, that result against Ireland was through four years of preparation. They talked about that. That was a, a real goal of theirs to make an upset against either Scotland or Ireland so they could get through the quarterfinals. And we're still waiting on this last game. It is going ahead. Uh, um, Scotland versus Japan will be played. So... We're going to see whether Japan can actually make it through to their, their first finals. Well, that's that's the big story otherwise that's been affected in this World Cup and there's been multiple, I think we're up to three matches now that have been cancelled due to um, climate and weather. The typhoon, what's the name of the typhoon? Hagigi. Yeah, <laughs> um, I can't really pronounce it. Yeah, that has cancelled three games and was at risk of cancelling this Japan-Scotland game as well, but it looks like it's going ahead. And a lot of people have criticised sort of the World Cup for not having sort of taking into account of what to do in these sort of situations. And um, especially Italy were quite upset at having their game, their final game versus New Zealand canned. And apparently, I don't know how true this is, apparently the All Blacks were given the option to go push ahead with this game and they decided not to. Um, and a lot of the Italians, especially Captain Parise, came out and said, look, if, if this was a game that New Zealand needed to needed to win like four or five points in um, to get through, then it would have been played. But because it's not it's not affecting the New Zealand results that they just got canned and got the short end of the um, stick there. I'd be surprised if, if that's entirely true. Like it's it's difficult to see if the if the if the body, the world rugby world uh, world rugby body thinks that they can stage the game. I, I can't see them putting the option in the hands of the two teams. Like they either say this is safe, we should we're playing this game, or they say it's not safe, we're not. Mm-hmm. But obviously, it's horrible for teams like Italy, who don't get the chance to upset a team in what would be a huge boil over. But um, you know, that's that's the chance to continue their World Cup taken away, and guys like Parise, you know, retiring effectively on the back of a no game. Yeah. Um, and probably more importantly for the Australians, it's it would, the England-France game is a chance to to see France take out England and push them to run That's us it. up. Yeah. And, and then probably, you know, what we expect Wales to overcome Uruguay, that would make Australia the runner-up in our pool. Um, that That's determining our future as well. So, hmm. uh, look, I mean, it probably wouldn't have changed much, but it's always disappointing when the game doesn't go ahead. And I think it's particularly painful for those guys who... Who don't get to play the game, and it's and it's their final swan song for yeah. their international. Yeah, and even and even more so for someone like Namibia, who's been, as you said, more competitive in this World Cup, has never won a game at a World Cup, gets its game cancelled versus Canada this morning, um, and so doesn't get to go against that person. They probably would have had the best chance of. I think that's the first game they've been favourites in, be it by only three points or so, but they would have been devastated not to be able to get that chance to take a win out of this World Cup. And, and one Japan. of their players actually got knocked out like nine minutes into the previous game and didn't play the rest of it. So that particular player's only had like half a World Cup to start with. Mm. So for certain individuals, it's particularly painful. 
I mean, World Rugby knew that the the World Cup would be played in Typhoon season in Japan. There should have been, I think, more organisation around what should happen if these games are cancelled or need to be moved or, you know, just some sort of plans in place you could move them south or north or, or whatever to another stadium. And, like, maybe some fans would miss out because they couldn't get up there, but I think it's better the game gets played and the people that can't make it to the game perhaps get their tickets refunded. Um, rather than just cancelling it all together and then issuing refunds. I think these games need to be played and there should have been better plans in place in case of um, in case of weather. Mm. I think it's, it's obvious that this is a much bigger sort of weather event than anyone predicted, the biggest typhoon that Japan's had in many years. But still, I do take your point that they did know that this was a possibility, so whether there, there should have been some efforts potentially to try not to cancel any games, I mean... Yeah, I can understand that. And what about, like, if it happens in the semifinals, if this typhoon swings back round and hits in a semifinal weekend, obviously you're going to move the games then and delay them and play them later on. But then do you move the final? Does it mean the lead into the final teams get only three or four days preparation yeah. for that? Like, there's a lot to consider when looking at finals football um, and everything's on the line. So it'd be interesting if something like that did happen. Mm-hmm. Now, boys, we've, we've avoided it for long enough. We've uh, managed not to talk about the refs, but it's been a massive talking point in every part of media coverage. Uh, the refereeing in games, refs being easy with cards, refs being willing to give yellows and reds at all times, whether there's been a preference towards not giving them to Tier 1 nations and more second-tier nations, plays people like Samoa getting copying a lot more cards than others. And then the inconsistency with refs using these sort of new pro- protocols things and players nodding, no, not knowing how to react. And it's gone from TMO involvement from things like Karevi being um, carded for leading with an apparent forearm against a patchel tackle in the Wales game to Reese Hodge getting cited post-game and missing three weeks. And that's just for the Wallabies. There's been multiple other teams, even as close as Bundy Arkey. Um, playing Samoa and getting a red card, which may jeopardise his uh, post-pool sort of games coming up. Can I just start in saying that I think the refereeing generally has been poor. Um, I know that there's been more focus on certain areas of the game, but I think overall they've been handing out cards too frequently. But as well, coupled with that, I think the discipline from teams has been poor as well. So you've almost seen the perfect storm here where there are games getting real with red cards. Perfect typhoon. They're coming together, these two things, and teams need to adjust. If the referee is going to be harsh on the tackle, on high tackles, things like that, teams need to adjust. They need to drop their body height in the tackle, and they're not doing that. So, you know, you've got teams not really adjusting on the fly, and you've got overly sensitive refereeing, and I, I think it's actually putting a bit of a, a black mark on this World Cup. I, I have a question, Toby, you hopefully can answer. I I know in the Super Rugby earlier this year, they made a, a strong point about certain laws and certain focus points uh, in in around the the high tackles and the shoulder charges, and they they tried to be quite consistent, quite heavy in the penalties to dissuade players from um, being careless enough to impact their opposition. Um, do you in in any of the competition you've seen in the Northern Hemisphere, have you noticed the same application? A focus for things like that. So was it was it equal for the Northern Hemisphere leading into the World Cup? 
I think there's been a similar focus, and I think in the Six Nations particularly, these the focus was a lot more on on the high tackle, and um, teams were wary of that earlier on than the Southern Hemisphere teams. Um, but in club rugby, I think, from my perspective, I think there's less cards handed out. Super rugby has been notorious the last couple of years for handing out yellows willy nilly. So, but I think you're right. The some of the Northern Hemisphere teams probably had a bit of a jump on this. Yeah, so I, th- I think Super Rugby, I felt it, it felt harsh, but I thought it was reasonably consistent and coming into a World Cup and with all the focus around concussion and, and you know, brain injury and things in, in other sports as well, like the, there was a fair and, and reasonable focus on it. And then in the Rugby Championship, I felt like that really it really faded away. And so it wasn't then consistent rugby, uh, Super Rugby to Rugby Championship. So... Them, I don't think, it, yeah, I, I think the rugby championship didn't have that focus. I'm not sure it had been implemented the the same, um, I guess, law changes or interpretation in the rugby championship, yet in the Six Nations it had been implemented. That was my understanding, but correct me if no, I'm wrong, I think, Arch. I think, I think it had been, but I, my point is I don't think they impressed it on the field quite mm. as firmly as they had in Super Rugby. It wasn't maintained, the focus wasn't maintained. So there's a, there's a couple of different standards the same players have experienced in the same year. And then they go to the World Cup and we've got referee to referee. It feels like, you know, some, some referees saying, no, I didn't see anything, play on it, you know, not interested. And then the TMO chiming in and pulling them back. Sometimes by the, by the protocols, it sounds like the correct decision was made of it eventually. Other times the TMO is chiming in with nothing and just yeah. just wasting time and slowing it all down and there's I mean there's a whole mixing pot of problems there but for me the players can't change the the way they're playing game to game now I think it's it, it's so much harder even within the game to change dramatically what you're doing because you've got you know a season and, and weeks of training worth of muscle memory in your system mm. in situations where you have very little time to react then you just you're just doing what you've been doing for the last period of time, and I think you need more run up to make a significant change for those you know moments where you don't have much time to react. And the referees between them have all been really inconsistent, um, and you get this weird focus like Karevi's um, forearm, his bump on on Patchell, which yeah, turned bullshit. into a whole absolute bullshit mountain out of Honestly. a molehill. Like there was nothing there, and the Australians gonna... were rightly infuriated at the time saying if you're going to penalize that well we might as well just give up now because you're going to penalize every tackle like what, what else you're going penalize, if you're going to penalize the ball carrier like that unless he leads directly with the elbow which Karevi did not do he was tucked and he pushed off with his arm it happened to catch him a little bit high but the initial impact wasn't there like that and then and Hooper correctly said that it was poor tackle technique by Patrol he's yes, gone in exactly. like head first up like that's Asking for it, you to get knocked in the face. But if you're having more of a focus on the ball carrier and, and their actions, then, for example, with Bundy Arkey, you've got people dropping their heads into tackles. Mm. And Bundy's gone really low, and this guy's, you know, kind of dropping further. It's like, well, you've got to consider both parties, and if you've got to scrutinise both, you know, both ends of the ball, you can't just focus on the tackler all the time. I think it was the same in the Samoa game. That guy got so low... And he, yeah. he still got a high shot. Yeah. He was so low, almost around this guy's hips. 
and um, yeah, was it Stockdale? Stockdale, yeah, really, really low. Yeah, and he caught him in the head, and it was like, okay, well, at some point, if a guy's kind of dropping in the tackle, that has to be considered. I think yeah. you can't just be like, well, it's the tackler's fault. Well, he's not looking like it's a split second thing. Mm. So, well, there needs to be a better balance with that. And the thing is that the Samoan guys, Jack Lamb and the coach, actually were talking about the Bundiaki red card in the um, post-match conference and literally came out and said, look, we, we know Bundy, we know that there's nothing malicious about what we've done. It's a split-second decision. And they were coming out and saying, well, we hope that there's no further sanction. There shouldn't be further sanction against him because that didn't deserve for him to now have to sit out games in terms of Ireland's sort of playoff run. But isn't there there's an automatic game suspension for red card regardless isn't that the case i think there's supposed to be a minimum sort of suspension as part of it but yeah, i'm not sure one if it's game or something yeah but i think it still game. does still go to the um yeah yeah it'll be referred to the judiciary i judiciary, think still and they can extend that so at this point like i honestly think the worst thing that could happen is they come out and having listened to the commentary from the opposition and say oh you know we don't want him sanctioned again if they come out and change like the precedent or go against the precedent and don't penalise him in line with how everyone else has been treated, then that's suddenly special treatment and it's finals. And it's like what we see in other sports, like typically around like state of origin in rugby league, guys don't get the same suspension. So then they're yeah. available because the sport's too worried about, you know, reducing the quality of the spectacle. Mm. You have to apply the same laws rather regardless of pools, regardless of knockout. It's not fair to change that. And, They've already been really inconsistent with, I think, the punishments. Like, Reese Hodge, shoulder charge on the Fijian winger. Um, like, it was a pretty poor effort. Not Did really it, even a shoulder charge. It was like a poorly... It was like yeah. a poor ball wrap, like ball and yeah. all tackle. But three weeks, right? Three, three weeks, games. ridiculous. And then the two, the two props from... Was it Italy. Russia? I think Italy, Italy. was. Oh, that's right. The two, the two Italian props... Um, Putting Dwayne Vermeulen on his head. Yeah, putting Vermeulen on his head. And they both got three weeks or three matches as well. And you're like, well, there's clearly far more malicious intent in that upended tackle. Yeah, um, so, so it already feels like the, the baseline and the precedence for these things are completely out of whack. Mm. Um, yeah. Anyone who gets a red card you'd think is probably going to cop at least two to three matches because... That seems to be the minimum anyway. Mm. But it's just oh, they've created a real disaster for themselves because they, they now can't do anything but penalise really heavily. I would, and I would, honestly, the only thing I think players could do better is use their arms when they're clearing out of a ruck. That's the one thing that I think is not defendable. I think players can do a lot better not shoulder-charging people at the ruck. I'd bring an opposing view and I'd actually say, look, if Bundyaki gets a lesser sentence or one game or whatever, even though it's inconsistent, I'd be far more happy to see that to see us going in that direction on less harsh punishments for these tackles rather than go, all right, well, Reese Hodge is three weeks and Bundyaki should be six or whatever. But is that fair? I'd rather than be... I would also rather... It's not fair. Anything that changes means it's not fair. But yeah, but for the the benefit of the sport and for the tournament, you'd prefer to see that. Can I say something that's in a little bit of... uh, Defense of some of these refs. I'm not including the TMOs or the judiciary in this because I don't include Ben Skeen, not very good at yeah, this Yeah, I feel like Ben Skeen's been in charge of all this um, I stuff. I hate Ben Skeen so much. <laughs> I'm going to hunt him down. But 
in in defense of some of these refs, really they've got to a stage where they've been given these protocols they're supposed to follow, this framework, and you've either got two sides, the people that are really trying to follow it by the letter because they're like, this is the law now, I have to follow it, and so they seem overly harsh in everything they do because that's just what they've been told to do by World Rugby versus the other guys that think, oh, this is quite harsh, I'm going to have to play this down and let things flow a bit better, but then be called inconsistent with the rules by everyone else because I try and let things flow and make things um, and say, no, that's just a penalty only. Don't look at that high tackle. Don't need to look at it anymore because they don't want to give the cards. And it's sort of like, what what are they supposed to do then? Like they can't all just, they can't be seen to completely flouting the laws and framework that have been put down. But then if they're, if some people are trying to go a bit the other way and trying to keep things a bit less sort of harsh, then it becomes this big imbalance of um, inconsistency yeah. where you have the, or well, a lot of the French refs like um, Poit and Garcia's and things uh, going really harsh with the framework. And then you have like Wayne Barnes and Nigel Owens being like, no, that's fine. Keep going. Like, yeah. Yeah. And we know, we know what's, I think we know what the correct approach is and that's the latter. Well, and I think we saw that adjustment in Super Rugby. I think we started each year in the last couple of years. We started off too harshly, yeah. And there's been a correction, and, and I, I think, think that correction see... now is going to come in the, in the finals. Mm. You'll see. I reckon just late. those refs will end up getting more of the games. Yeah, well, I think they are better referees, to be honest, as well. Mm. I mean, Nigel Owens and Wayne Barnes are probably two of the top five referees in the world. Yeah. Um, I think. Nick Berry's been pretty decent. Yeah, he's been His very good. Communication's great. He's improved a lot. Um, the young um, guy from I think he's English as well, Pierce, who did the South Africa Canada game, was also very good and very nice and just not not very harsh and everything explained through everything he did and it sort of was just a bit more down to earth with a lot of this stuff. I think I think you will see them get rewarded with. I don't know if it's predetermined or anything. If it is, well, this makes no sense. But if if it's not predetermined, then I think these guys should get rewarded for for their performances in games. Yeah. And you know, coming into a I World Cup, you might have the top five, but that could change over the course of if they're refereeing four or five games or whatever it is, and they've had you know poor performances, then they should be taken off the big games. I think the the pool games were the only ones that were predetermined. Yeah. So I think there is room to flex. Um, which which referees will do well, the matches? But they've already shown I they're willing to change it anyway. With Angus Gardner getting swapped out of the um, England Argentina game. Yeah, that was weird. Mm. It was only an assistant I ref, but yeah. Mm. I mean, um, it's yeah. I, I think I think that's makes sense that they reward the better referees with these um, these big games because. That's you know it's kind of like picking players on form, right? You're picking referees on form. They're yeah. they're currently doing the best job at interpreting the laws as World Rugby wants them to. The games are flowing well. The problem for me overall, like very first game, Nigel Owens refed um, was Russia Japan, wasn't it? That game, first game of the World Cup. Yeah, the first game of the World Cup. That game flowed really well, and while there were there was the odd little inconsequential infringement like never never a player safety issue just like a you know a little like a knock-on or a saying that was a bit 50 50 um or potentially you know a player reaching through at the ruck and slowing the ball down now if that didn't have really any meaningful effect nigel owens was basically coaching both teams as he went saying no 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 you can't do that no 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 
giving the guys a chance to stop, pull back and continue to allow the game to flow. And I really like that. I know it's probably not something you can do with the higher tier teams because maybe they'll be cynical and maybe they'll use that to their advantage, getting lots of warnings. But I think Nigel Owens had had a good balance there and he was able to keep the teams that didn't realise they were, you know, going a bit too far. He could pair them back and then, you know, keep them on the straight and narrow throughout the game. So that that was an approach I liked as opposed yeah. to just a see see an infringement, penalise, 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 penalise. That's a style thing as well. Owens tends to do that. He'll be like, all right, number seven, hands away, hands away, number seven. Like, he'll tell you, yeah. won't just be like, oh, his hands are all over it, bang. That's like you right. say. Yeah, that's right. No, he no, gives no, him a chance to move away, roll away. And other referees do that. I think Nick Berry's been doing that more recently. Um, mm. But, yeah, Wayne most of the top referees do that. Yeah. And they explain things. They communicate well. They give you a small chance to actually stop doing what you're doing if it's wrong. And then they make a decision or they let the game flow. And that makes the game better because if guys listen and they'll respect the referee for giving them an opportunity to kind of correct what they're doing wrong. Whereas some of the French referees and Ben O'Keefe, like these guys oh, just throw ben their O'Keefe. arm up straight, as soon as they see anything. And it's just terrible. The like, it's, they've, just no <laughs> they've just got no sense for like, the context of the game. Like, Was it really necessary to to do like make the call on something that had no significance yeah, it was 50 50 yeah. anyway allow the game to flow if everyone gets a balance of the calls then it's fine um all, all, all it comes down to is players getting frustrated because the calls come under different circumstances and you can't adjust game to game you don't know what you're going to get so you can't prepare like it just makes it really difficult for the players in the game and it makes it frustrated and you get guys like hooper trying to have a conversation with the ref, but it must be absolutely infuriating to him. And I'm sure he keeps it together pretty well when the calls are inconsistent, the explanations don't make sense, and it's all different again from the previous game, and it'll be different in the next game. Mm. And he just comes off looking like a whinger when he's just, you know, he just can't can't make sense of what's happening in the calls. Think, and that's not th- isolated to Australia either. I think we're kind of a good example of a team that feels like we're hard done by and maybe that narrative is being spun a little bit too far by Checker, by Hooper. I think yeah. that they've really got this siege mentality, like everyone's against us. Um, mm. But overall, I think our technique in tackles have been poor. Our discipline needs to be better generally. So I do think that we're at fault in some ways, but there have been decisions as well where it just makes no sense some of the calls. So... You can see why Hooper does get frustrated, but I think we do, as an example, we need to be better with our discipline um, and we need to make adjustments depending on the referee because they're all different. You need to adjust to that in a game on the fly. Yeah. So let's get into the Wallabies then. We've talked about a few of these other teams, but obviously, as Toby said, there's been some disappointing bits of the Wallabies play. We're still been a lot of chopping and changing, whether that by design or whether we're still sort of searching for those combinations, which... You probably don't want to be doing having finished your four pool games, but an opening win against Fiji, a close loss to Wales, uh, beating Uruguay pretty convincingly, but then some struggles versus a strong Georgian team. Where do we think that our best sort of bits have been? What's been the most disappointing other than obviously, as you said, poor discipline, poor body height and a lot of our tackling? I think poor starts to games has been a real issue. We're not scoring points early. So we're, you know, it happened against Wales. It's happened 
even against um, Uruguay and Georgia, that we haven't scored a lot in the first half. Um, and then we're kind of trying to make up for it in the second. And you, you do that against good teams. If you get behind, you're not going to win game. And you saw that against Wales. We would have had to set the, I think, the biggest comeback ever in a World Cup to actually win that game. And we got close, um, but we just didn't have enough. So I think we need to focus on starting quickly, scoring points early and getting some dominance against teams, particularly against... You know, if it's England, I'm, I'm thinking it's going to be England probably in this quarterfinal. That's going to be really important. But, yeah, I, I've really had a problem with these selections, the way that we've been changing halves. You know, we've had we've gone from Foley yeah, to Lili Afano to Tamua. Yeah, starting in the four games. That's a massive issue for me. Um, I think swapping between Genia and White all the time is not the right thing to be doing. Um, I think, from my perspective, I think Nick White deserves that starting role. Um, with Genia coming on later in games. But I think selections overall, is, is maybe not so much in the forwards, but our back line does not seem set at all. And that, I think that's a real issue. I, I think it's both forwards and backs, really. I know there's been a bit less chop and change in the forwards, but like we, we don't expect to see Kepu starting matches. I don't totally understand why when you've got Alatoa and... And Taniella, I know Taniella. We found out late. Um, I think it was was it the Wales game or maybe the following game against Uruguay. We heard that he'd been um, knocked about at training and and actually wasn't really fit to play against Wales, and that's why he wasn't in the team at all. And yeah, that was weird. That that didn't get reported. That was almost like you know the Wallabies couldn't couldn't handle what would be um, you know negative press or questions about it. But between the front row, obviously we haven't quite settled a back row. The, the back line is completely changing, and there's only really one force change there, which was the fact that Hodge got his three weeks marching orders. So there's really there's only two guys in the back line that we know will start in their positions, and that's Marika and Samu Karevi. The rest we don't know for sure that they're going to actually line up where they're meant to. That's I would crazy. actually suggest that Marika may not be 100. percent Really? I, no, I, I, I disagree. I, I'm not saying I agree, but I'm concerned that that back maybe even maybe even Marika has a question mark because Pate has been pretty solid, and now Hodge is going to be available, and Marika has yeah. been a little bit exposed under the high ball. So are they going to if England use that tactic a lot, which I think Johnny May and um, I think the, the English have you know tortured us with that previously, are they going to be worried enough that they don't put Marika on? That's what I mean. Because we'd we need his a... pace, his defence. He's the only true yeah, winger I... in the squad. I think it's the 14 position between Hodge and, and probably Patea now that he's up for grabs. That's my opinion. I, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. That's that's more my opinion too. But I think the reason that there's even a question is because we haven't stuck with the same team and you know, given these guys, Marika's been in the same in the team probably more than anyone. Actually, he's probably been the most consistent guy. Is it like and he does have that weakness. Four? Yeah, but oh, just even before the World Cup, like he's been on that left wing almost the entire time. So, yeah. Um, but but because we keep chopping and changing, there's no momentum for any of these players. Like, if Marika game to game gets a lot of ball, gets no ball. You know, is getting great support from some players, and the next game there's no one there. Like. We've got yeah, it's no, combinations. no combinations, and when when we have obvious weaknesses, like I think, I don't think anyone's going to argue that Marika is 
is a bit of a liability under a high ball and he will be targeted. Now, if everything else in his game is polished and firing and the combinations are good, then you go, okay, he's got that. Well, we need to you know, support him, swing, swing some things around, try and keep him in an area of the field where they can't do that to him. Okay. But when nothing's working, you're trying to find these combinations and you're trying to overcome you know, weaknesses in your combinations and structures as well as everyone's individual weaknesses, which all the opposition teams will know by now. They've got enough footage on everyone to have seen that Marika's not great under a high ball. Um, you know, Kurtley Beal can be pressured at the back, running back if you can surround him and he's an easy pilfer. Like, all these I things think... are, are in teams' tactics and, and in their, you know... Is, Manning, I think it may Manning. factor it may factor into the two other selections in the back three. If you start with Marika, then maybe I mean KB's had it, maybe a concussion, so it may be that DHP lines up at fullback, and then you've got Pateo who's pretty decent under the high ball on the other wing. Um, yeah, I'm but, making a broader point. I'm making a no, I know, I know. Could you so argue though Europe that Czech has done this um, deliberately in order to allow that teams don't know who they're going to line up against? England doesn't know who it's going to he's going to be able to game plan for because they don't know what the selection's going to be. That's, that's true. That's or is true. that just trying to explain what Czech has I done as a sort of a tactic? I think that's poor selections. Yeah. There's, no way, there's no way that your trump card is the mystery of who your 15 will be because that means, look, are, they, are they playing like secret um, opposed games where they are playing in the combinations are actually shit hot but they never actually get to do that on the field? Like if, that's, if Czech ever comes forward with that excuse, I'll be calling liar liar for sure well like if you're saying a- that like any combination we should be fine we're going to be able to play at our top level regardless of the fact they haven't played that combination in a month or so that's ridiculous so that, and that, that's bullshit false. absolutely false because we haven't fired in any combination the best combination we've had is whoever came off the bench looked good against all these tired opposition players and that's I why the truth is the- the truth is he doesn't know what the best combination is. I think that we had it going in the rugby championship. I think that back line from either the first or second bledders low was probably the best we can do. And we've seen in the past, Tamu is not a 10. He's good off the bench. He runs the ball more. He's great in contact. He's good at defensively, but he's not the greatest at running a back line. And he, oh, it's just, it's frustrating me because I think Christian, it was working Maybe he's not full health, and that's why they, they're not playing him kind of consecutive games. But you could see against Uruguay, some of the passes he was throwing, the way he's directing guys around, it was working. And so I think it's it's a shame that we weren't able to build that, say, White, Liliofano, Karevi, maybe O'Connor, maybe Kurandrani, I'm not sure, probably go Connor. That kind of partnership, that combination needed to be developed further from the rugby championship, and we haven't done that. If If... Checker thinks that he's going to, you know, start a team that's maybe different from the previous game, and this the combinations will just work and they'll look amazing. Then he's kidding himself because you don't just you don't just get the perfect combination and execution like it's a recipe. And when you finally hit on the right ingredients in the right proportions, it works. That's not how that that's not how you get a team to play well by just rotating them until it eventually happens and making a few assumptions. It's put the same guys in the team and play them together over and over and over and over and adjust your tactics and your combinations exactly right. in the moves to make the most of the skills the players have. And if you really have a big gap 
and you don't have a player with the skill set that you need, well, then you've got to try and develop it in someone. And you sure as hell don't do that on the training paddock and play in one out of ten games. You've got to I keep think- playing and you've got to give them more time together. The only person that has really benefited from this rotation and this kind of diversity of opportunity has been Matt Tamua. Foley hasn't. His confidence is shot. He got yanked at halftime against Wales. Christian has been in and out of the team. But Tamua has kind of been a mainstay either off the bench or starting. Um, So I think he's really the only guy that has benefited. And I can't see him lining up against, say, England at 10. Can you guys see that? Because I would be very surprised if he's there. I can absolutely see Tamua lining up at 10. Is that what you're saying? I can't see it working. I don't think it will happen. No, no, no. I'm saying I can see it happening because all we've seen is him look like a hero coming off the bench and he's managed to to beat... Yeah, it's easy to do that when everyone's tired and you come on at 60 minutes. Exactly. Exactly, but it's it's understanding the reasons. And honestly, I look at Checker and and the, the, the coaches and I just go, I don't think they understand why he looks so good off the bench, they're, they're just going, oh, well, he's obviously the better choice. We should start him at 10. All our all our chat back and forth between games, I was saying, is going to get a shot at 10 because he keeps looking good off the bench and they're going to assume that if he's good off the bench, we should just start him. No, no, no. Off the bench is a very specific circumstance and he's mm. good at that, but that's not the same as starting the game and you need and to you see this And starting you see this between st- White and Genia. Mm. Often if yeah, Genia exactly. doesn't start and he comes on... In- 55 minutes and he absolutely kills and you're like oh we've got to start him then he starts you're like oh he's throwing intercept passes three or four times to the welsh number nine oh white should come back in like it's just i don't know what they're doing honestly i really don't know what they're doing and then you have glad that they're finishes and you have people like tamua finally gets his start in this georgia and they score 10 points and a half and you go well you can't put it all down obviously georgia's defense was very good but was there an element of I, w- I want to hear both your back lines, and they may be identical. I'm not sure. I want to, If we're playing England in the quarterfinal, it's do or die. Don't worry about the forward pack. I think we're going to be okay, to be honest. I think if we pick our first choice forward pack, it's going to line up pretty well against England. I'm worrying, worried about the back line. Who are you guys going with? My back line is Nick White, Lelifano, uh, Samu, and James O'Connor through the centres. I'm putting, I'm assuming Beal's going to be concussed, but I'd rather have Hale Petty at the back anyway, I think now. And I think Hodge will come back. I, I honestly wonder if Marika gets yanked for um, Pataya. For Pataya. I think Pataya did a good job. And I wonder if, you know, what if <laughs> Checker's logic has been, to my mind, faulty all the way through. But if, if you look at him and go, oh, look, he's got no preconceptions about England. He'll come in with heaps of energy. He's looked good. I'll throw, I'll throw him in for England because I think Marika's just going to get targeted. They'll figure him out and he'll be a weakness, not a strength to me. That's good. Decisive, see? I like that. You've kind of you've thought about it. You've got reasons for your selections in your back three. And that probably means that someone like... You have Genia, Tamura and, and Kurtley coming off the bench maybe, which is pretty good. So, Arch, how are you going? I would have the... Exact same back line, except I would have Korobiti and Pattaya as my wingers with probably DHP at the back. Just because those two are probably a bit more X-factor players and you probably do need a bit more of a calm head. You can't have this, your back three all being a bit like that if Kurtley Beale is fit. 
Um, and DHP does give a bit more support under the high ball. I just yeah, want to. I, I do want to though. I address, would agree with you, Arch. Yeah, I would have the same backline as you. But go on. I do want to address you saying that our and I. I think you're right. Our tight five definitely is pretty set, and I think that's more or less able to combat England. I don't think we know what back row we want to play as yet. I don't think. Well, to be honest, I don't think Pocock or Hooper have shown a huge amount of what they their impact on the back row has been in this game. I think Hooper has. I do think Hooper has. I'm not, I think Pocock has been slightly disappointing. Yeah, and they and talked I, about it. He I had like... Jack Dempsey, Jack Dempsey has really stepped up, so maybe maybe you're going to see him at six. Is there any... I think Nicerani's a lock. Is there any world where... I mean, I guess this is irrelevant because Hooper's the captain. Where you could have a Hooper Pocock on the bench and have Dempsey and Lucan at six and seven, and just go massive, and have Tolu in it too, and he's your pilfering guy. Um, you have some of these props like Alan Alatoa does get over the ball and stuff. Dempsey can get over the ball, and you just go massive and you try and smash England exactly what that's, they try and do to South us. South African back row right there. In yeah, terms of size. so I, I would, I would be very interested to see how that played and I've been the proponent of I think Hooper's a problem for our for our selections for a long time and obviously you'll never get to do it but if if that happened I mean it'd be the most extreme thing I would never expect them to put Hooper and Pocock out of the starting 15 wherever they ended up but wouldn't that just be the absolute epitome of I really have no idea who should be in my team like that's that. That's what that would say to me. The check is like, okay, I'm going to make this change for England. No, no, no. They've been training it. like this just, for I, in secret for months. Yeah, they just oh, haven't put on the team on the field. Hooper I, is a problem. Hooper is a problem for your back row selection. I don't think he he's not, is a. He's not at all. I don't think he's a whole player. I think disagree. he leaves you with a gap. No, and he is. Pick up disagree. A I think he's better than Pocock, and I think you've seen that throughout the the World Cup. Hooper's been in better form, more consistent. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason why I think he wasn't played against Georgia whatsoever. He's going to line up at seven. Yeah. I'm pretty sure about that. I think Pocock's going to be on the bench. The problem with your scenario, Arch, is that if you have two sevens on the bench, that means you're either playing a, a two to six split with the backs forwards or you're basically relying on Lucan to play 80 minutes when one of the second rows goes off. That's what he did so, on the rugby championship. Yeah, but like, he's he actually has been one that's really stepped back in the Wallabies frame. You haven't seen him as much. It's true. But I think that's because Dempsey's been coming through. Lucan was playing 80 minutes. Um, I think he's fallen out of favour a little bit. He looks like that's he's almost dropped too much weight. He's very, very lean at the moment. I almost think that he's lost a bit of that power that he had before. Um, and that's probably me because he needs to have his work rate up, but he's just not holding the weight. So I think... My back row for England would be Jack Dempsey, Michael Hooper, and Isi Nisarani with Adam Coleman and David Pocock coming off the bench. That would be my kind of split there. And I yeah. think that, like you say, the type, five, the type five's kind of set. You've got Co, Tolu Latu, Alan Alatoa, Isaac Rodder, and Rory Arnold. And I mm. think that's a pretty good forward pack. And any reasonable Wall- Wallabies fan would agree that that's the right call to do. But and I don't think that, I don't disagree. But where's where's the guy who played eighty minutes in every rugby championship game 
for all the preparation exactly. and all the like, like that that is means are completely balls up his pre- preparation. No, 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 no. That's they, because that's because Jack wasn't all. fit. That's that's why it happened. I'm like I'm pretty certain of that. He was a starter for eighty minutes, and he's not even on your bench. That's right, and that's because of Jack Dempsey. And Pocock, was Pocock and Poe's back. I mean that that does that is true. Pocock wasn't a- available to play, so he had two guys that were probably preferred ahead of him. Um, but having said that, Lucan was really we thought he was there because he added more size. He was he secured the line out a bit better, um, and he really would be the perfect guy to combat England. I just don't think he, he's in form. I don't think he's had the impact that he needed to have. Yeah. And I think Dempsey's really stepped up, and he Dempsey can still perform in the lineout. He's not as big a guy. Um, well, I, I think the fact that Nasirani's become line-out. quite good in the like they've relied yeah. on him pretty well, and he's not let them down in the line lineout has helped them not have to rely on having a lineout sort of orientated six as well. And Issy's like he's six four. I think Jack Dempsey's six three. Lucan's you know six six five six six. So. He's a lot bigger guy, but I just think he probably goes missing too much, and I think he's just lost that power game that he had before. Mm. Um, as long as Rodder and, and Rory Arnold kind of keep their carries up and and kind of bend the line a bit, I think we're going to be okay in that department. And I'd rather have put David Poker coming off the bench than um, Lucan. Okay, final final points, boys, because we need to keep moving. I, I just wonder, do we think Rodder and... Um... And Rory Arnold have have shown enough focused mongrel to to combat people like Atoje and and be really dominant without being a liability. I'm still oh, a bit yeah. worried. I think they're a bit you know playing at eighty percent and not really having the impact we need them to. I've liked what Rod has been doing, particularly in the last game against Georgia. I thought he was quite strong. Rory Arnold, though, I think maybe has come off the ball a little bit as well. Some of his carries haven't been as strong. His defence maybe Body hasn't been as strong. Offence and defence is terrible. It's yeah, get he's, lower. he's struggling to get low. And, I mean, the guy is 6'9". It's hard for him to get down, but it's almost like he's a liability going into some tackles, and that up. could be a problem. Alternative yeah. or more, turn it over. Anyway, that's, that's my concern. very lean as well. It's another guy I've noticed that looks very, very skinny. Um and maybe he's still pushing 120 kilos, but he just doesn't look like he's got the power game going as well. I think Rodder's kind of maintained his size, looks pretty, looks pretty physical. Um, but yeah, Rory, I think up to the Wales game he looked pretty good, but since then, I wasn't so impressed against what I, you know what his performance was against Georgia. So hopefully he I can just step it up. More, I want to see some more retallic out of Rodder. That'd make me happy. Exactly. Exactly. All right, guys, we might leave it there for the moment. We will be back for everyone else presently with a part two for the actual previews once these final games are in the books and we have a definite picture of those quarterfinals. Um, But until then, we may leave you here for a second or two. Uh, Twitter and Instagram is where to follow us, where to get all this extra information that's popping up, all those squads that come out. And that's at Running Rugby Pod on Twitter and at Running Rugby Podcast on Instagram. And remember, to, you can download us on Spotify, iTunes, and all other places that you'll find your podcast. All right, we're going to wait for these last couple of results to come through, and we'll be back with you shortly. But until then, keep on running. Run.